Growing Up, our brand new resource for churches and parents is out now. Woohoo! With Sunday school sessions, training videos, podcast episodes for parents and one for the whole family. All there to help our children navigate the confusion, filter the messages they're surrounded by and hear God's good story. All our Growing Up resources point to the Heavenly Father who loves our children even more than we do and has the answer to their biggest questions about who they are and how to live. Together, as families and churches, we can support each other to start good conversations about bodies, gender and marriage so our children can grow up hearing God's good story. Head over to the website faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up. Hello, this is the Faith in Parents podcast brought to you by Faith in Kids. My name is Ed. I'm the director of Faith in Kids. I'm joined by... Hello, I'm Amy. I'm a resource writer for Faith in Kids. And guess what, Ed? It's our 100th episode. Woo! Sing happy birthday to us. Celebrate. Amy, four years in. I remember when we first made a proposal for this as a team and we wondered whether we should bother. And uh, I can now say, genuinely, it's probably one of the very cornerstones of what Faith in Kids does. There you go. We're as old as the BBC. Oh, no, not quite. (laughs) (laughs) They're not 100 episodes, are they? I I only have one stat, Amy, and that's we have had 238,000 downloads. That's at least 238, 7,000 more than I thought we'd get at the beginning. I'm not very good at numbers. 238,000. Yes. Two, three, eight, and then three zeros. Well, yes. there you go. Well done. Well done. Maybe one day it will be like a science experiment where you say, is that is that 93 or 94 zeros afterwards? <laughs> We're live to kitchen sinks, allotments, dog walks across the nation. We are, Amy. We are. And there have been some tears and there have been some laughs. This is true. Now, Amy, on to immediate things. This is not only celebrating 100 episodes, but we are in the middle of a Who Am I series. And we thought we would just try to take a look at where we're at, why we're there and where we're going next. Because if we're in the middle of a series and people are still confused, they might give up soon. We are very used to this. We are four years in to the Who Am I series. We started working on this series before we had a podcast, I think. Did we? I think so, Amy. You just slipped that in. This is a Who Am I podcast. We're talking about Who Am I. So, Amy, we're in the middle of this Who Am I series. Can you just give us a starter? Who does the Bible say I am? Oh, Ed, what a question. So wonderfully, the Bible gives us a brilliant answer. So in our culture's confusion, the Bible is entirely clear. We are given an identity by a father who loves us. We are created and we are told who we are. We are entirely safe. He knows what's going on. And the difference between what the Bible's answer is and what our children are being told is that our children are being told that they can make up who they are or they even need to make up who they are. They need to be able to answer the question, uh, what will I be? 
How do I stand different to my peers? How do I stand the same? What is my sexuality? What is my gender? Uh, what is my contribution to society? These are questions that are beyond children. We're on, we're claiming in these podcasts. It's unfair on them to do that. So I think as as, as Christian parents, we we often feel that oh we're you know we're we're battening our children down, and Christianity is is sort of limiting freedom, and culture is giving freedom, and and actually when we consider what is God saying and what is He offering, that actually what He is offering is something wonderfully safe. So when I talk to talk to my son, who's just turned fourteen, about life and deciding who he is, and a lot of the messages that he hears from school, he says, "Oh, mom." I don't even know what to wear. I can't dress appropriately for the weather. How am I supposed to decide all of these things? Thank goodness that God decides for me. I haven't put those words in his mouth. He senses the freedom of the safety that God provides, which, hooray. I mean, I feel the same and I'm I'm 43. Thank goodness I don't have to decide all of these things. I have a father who decides it for me and he loves me and I'm going to trust him more than I trust me. Phew. So in the series, we are arguing it is a freedom. It is a rock, it is an anchor, it is a safe place to be, letting God answer the question for us, who am I? We have now released a series that you can teach in your Sunday schools, that you can go through in your churches. It's free to download from our website as all our resources are faithinkids.org. That's now released. These podcasts are designed to run alongside that. That's because we get that parents find this stuff hard. And we get that parents go, I don't even know half of this myself. I didn't do this when I was a kid. No one was telling me any of these things. I'm going to hide and hope that this all goes away. And we're saying, no, you're not. You're going to be the parent that's on the front foot that says, I'm sure God has a has an answer. I'm sure the Bible has hope. I'm sure we have a better story. And I'm going to be ready to help you with all of this. And we're going to hold on tight to God together. So this seems like the perfect moment to play a clip from the first in the Who Am I series of podcasts. And this is Ed Shaw on our introductory episode, episode 96. And he was just helping us to see that this issue of identity and who am I in the Bible, the biggest metaphor the Bible uses is father and child. God says consistently in the Bible, I am your father, you are my child. So that if we've understood that, that our identity is, I am God's child, then it allows us to make sense of identity. So Ed Shaw in this clip explains how personally there was a time in his life when he understood god as his father even more than his earthly father let's listen to that now yes yeah, so i age five had a sister who younger me he died when she was two months old and so i had that experience at quite a young age of realizing that my parents were limited in what they could and could not protect me from and i saw my parents cry at a really early age and I saw you know I just had that experience that perhaps happens more gradually for a lot of kids over a longer period of time of just recognizing the limitations to my parents it happened in some ways for me all in one day and I think what was beautiful about what my parents did in those circumstances was help me recognize how trustworthy God was and how 
they couldn't help me in some circumstances, but Jesus could. So one example was soon after my sister died, I started to have nightmares in which she would reappear alive, which was pretty difficult for a five, six-year-old to cope with. And I recognised that she couldn't do anything to stop me dreaming things, but we could pray to Jesus every night that those dreams wouldn't come back. And we did pray to Jesus every night and those dreams didn't come back. But also they were really good at not promising me things that they couldn't promise me. So again, I think when my mum was pregnant with my younger brother, soon after my sister uh, died, I asked with a sort of five-year-old sensitivity her to sort of promise me that this baby wouldn't die too. And she was beautifully honest in saying, no, I can't promise you that. And again, there's a lot of parents, I think probably would have made the promise because what damage would it have done? It probably would have worked out. But it was another opportunity to point me to her limits, their limits, and an opportunity to point me to the limitless power and love of God. And certainly, you know, all my well, you know, I know that I first came to really trust in Jesus around the time of my sister's death because he was trustworthy, completely reliable, able to promise and do for me things which I was realizing at a young age my parents couldn't. And you know, one of the things we need to do, isn't it, as parents, is is point our children to our limitations, but then point them to a God who is limitless in what he can do and where he can be and how much he loves us. Pointing our children to our own limitations and then on to a limitless heavenly father. Um, Suddenly, although the detail of what Ed talked about just is heartbreaking, actually the principle that he's just described is the responsibility of us as parents to to show our limitations, that suddenly the, the burden is lifted from having to be the perfect human being who has everything together and knows every answer to every question, but is the limited human being who trusts a heavenly father. And I think that is so powerful for us as parents who feel overwhelmed and feel afraid that ultimately what we've been asked to do is model to our children what trusting God looks like what trusting someone who has the answer when we don't looks like. And that feels, that feels possible. It feels hard, but it feels possible. And it's also striking that we usually find with the biggest Christian breakthroughs in our life that they come at the hardest moments. We we don't normally get to have conversations with our children about identity and about our better heavenly father when we step off a roller coaster uh, when we're on the middle of a holiday sat having a great meal or when oh, we're they're laughing. always in tears aren't they yeah. <laughs> they are always they're always the in tears conversations they're always the someone said something mean they're always the something terrible has happened i failed you've messed up it's gone wrong they're always those conversations and you know part of me does think why why aren't i better at learning these lessons never mind my kids um, on on sunny happy days, or why aren't I better at learning at learning these things in books? I could read a lot of books, and maybe my life would would be less complicated. But <laughs> that is that's that's not how our loving heavenly Father has ordained things. Perhaps He knows how we learn best, and it's okay. Perhaps we have and to learn to experience. It's okay, Amy, to listen to that episode clip and say, "I wish I was." Ed's parents because they did this really well. I totally would have said it's all going to be fine. (laughs)
but the Lord would have been okay. He would have overruled and he would have given us a different way to learn that lesson. Good on Ed's parents, presumably in the low point of their life, being able to say, no, I can't fix this. I can't fix you. I trust the one who does. And praying that prayer, let's give that to God, when you must as a parent be wondering, what if he doesn't answer this prayer? Mm. Where do we go then? Which is so often the story in the hardest times, will we have faith? Will yeah. we have faith to say, God, you need to show up because this is the moment where our children learn about you? We're now going to play another clip. This is from our second episode in the Who Am I series, episode 97. This is Andrew Bunt talking about his experience of gender identity. Andrew, could you tell us a bit about your experience on these issues and, and maybe ha how, in hindsight, you've processed them? Yeah. yeah. For me, this is in a sense of a very, well, has been a very real-life personal topic, very impacted by myself in a few different ways, in a few different aspects of my life. There was a time in my childhood where I very much believed that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. I remember it so vividly because I remember the fear that I would get pregnant and that it would get found out. Obviously, not know how these things work, but my fear was if I get pregnant, everyone will know, actually, I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body. And that was a very... I remember a very kind of um, profound thing. I really, I really thought that was true. I was quite fearful of that. This was, you know, quite a number of years ago. I didn't really know of people talking about those kind of things. So I just kind of kept quiet about it. And, and Andrew, sorry, what, what age was that? That memory? I think was going to upper primary, end of primary, I think. So nine through to 11, maybe. And then as I went, went into my teenage years, into puberty, that kind of naturally went away. And as we'll come to talk later, that's not an unusual experience for something like that of childhood and the fact to go away during teen years. And I look back now at that, and I think what happened to me there, I was very much kind of what we might call gender non-conforming, as in I didn't match up to gender stereotypes, what boys are like, in almost all the ways, in a sense. While all the boys were playing football at school with their, the other boys, I was the lone boy with the girls trying and failing to do handstands against the hedge, stuff like that. All my close friends were girls, and just all my likes and dislikes, all the stereotypical stuff, very much lined up with girls rather than boys and what people expected. And I think that just meant I couldn't compute how I could be a boy if that was how I found myself to be. And so I began to come to the conclusion that must mean I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body. That kind of feeling went naturally away, as I said, kind of as I went into um, my teenage years. But then even more recent years, I really had to wrestle with this thing of gender as well. I came to a realisation that although I wasn't still thinking I was a girl trapped in a boy's body or really a man's body, I was deeply uncomfortable with my identity as a man. And actually kind of, I guess, was living with a sense of not being a real man, not kind of making the cut. I noticed I would say things, uh, talking to a group of female friends, I'd say things like, well, he would say that, he's a man. The implication clearly being the men are over there and I'm not a woman, but somehow I'm not a man either. I'm not kind of in that group. Things like single sex environments were literally my worst nightmare. I would avoid them anywhere I could, really. And to be honest, I harboured this secret desire that I would be invited to a friend's hen party or something. Although I didn't think of myself as being a woman, I wanted in a sense to be part of that group because where I felt safe maybe rather than with guys. And so I've had to really process that. And actually, God wonderfully has taken me on a, a wonderful journey of coming to realise now I'm a man because he says I'm a man. That's a solid, static, unchangeable thing he's given to me. And actually, that allows me to embrace my likes, dislikes, my personality, the things that might be deemed traditionally feminine. It doesn't change the fact I'm a man. And so I guess even in recent years, I've been on a journey of growing comfortable with both my identity as a man, but also my unique kind of personalities we all have. And the fact that that's not traditionally masculine is okay. God's made me the way. He delights in me as I am. 
So, Andrew, does that mean that it's not just you've grown out of it or you've got used to it, but it is Christian faith that has changed how you feel? Yeah, certainly in my more recent kind of wrestling with this as an adult, absolutely, actually. And it was realising that Genesis 127 says that I'm a man because God has created me that way. It's given to me in my body. It's part of how he's created me. And that being a man isn't something you create through performance or you earn by acting a certain way, but it's true of me because of how God's made what he says of me. And that gives me the freedom to embrace those other things. So I talk about learning what God says about who I am has given me the freedom to embrace how I am. So absolutely that, that biblical foundation, that, that truth of God as creator, what he says about me has been the, the great releasing, freeing thing. So Ed, what I thought was so brilliant was Andrew was just so clear, such a personal story, but just so clear about what God has told him about who he is in his own body. And then that he's then free to work out the how, that, that the how he works that out and the things that he likes, they're different. And once he knows who he is, he's free to work out how he is. And that's one of the things I think is so brilliant about these podcasts is that we get to hear voices of people who've walked this road, have worked out, are clear on their thinking and and just help us catch them up. And I think he was so gracious to share. And I think he was just brilliant. And the way this episode fits in with the series is that one of the topics we've been looking at throughout is I am wonderfully made. The body I have has been given to me and gender fits into that because it is the way we are clear what sex we are, what gender we are, is by the body God has given us. Do we have a male body? Do we have a female body? That is the answer to who you are. It's part of the answer to who you are. And this is, I don't think I need to say it out loud, is a culturally very hot topic at the moment. I've been hugely encouraged to hear people say of this particular episode that they came to this feeling like it was beyond them. They couldn't understand it. It was too difficult, too frightening, too hot. And they left saying, that sounded like common sense to me. That made perfect sense. It's not complicated. Which, which is the story of being a Christian, is hot cultural topics when the Bible gets opened can make perfect sense. So I think as somebody who lives in a world that is as closer to the teenage years now, that feels, it does feel big and it is great to be having those conversations. But I do remember when my children were little, um, what laying those foundations looked like. So I'm thinking about like pre-seven, when we were starting to notice bodies, when we were starting to notice body differences, when we were starting to notice that there were things that we could do that others couldn't do. Um, one of my children has disability that for him to be aware that there were there were limitations to his body and all of those conversations that built these foundation blocks for the later on conversations, that your body is a gift from God and that he has not made a mistake in the one he has given you. Um, and there, there are things about it that we might wish we could change, but we trust God with the body he's given you. And all of those things that would have freaked me out as a mom, you know, with the when they want to try on different dressing up clothes and run around in a princess dress, that these alarm bells of panic in the back of my head, they're just, they're just dressing up and they're just playing. And, and it is your job as a mom is to be saying the things that are true regularly in their life. Your body is a wonderful body that look at the things you can do with it. Look at how you can praise God with it and look at how good it is. And if you're saying those things, 
that's it. That's what we do. And there is, Amy, there's huge reassurance in what you've just said, which is with parenting, it's helpful to look over to the horizon. It's helpful in church to have people who are two or three or four years down the track to be understanding from them what they're going through as it is to be talking to the people who are two or three or four years behind us to be reassuring them. But generally, we're just focused on the things our children are saying to us now, the situations that are rising in the home and having those conversations now and not thinking too much about, I don't, I don't know how to talk to my children about what I've just seen on some programme on TV that's terrifying. There's a reason why we grow up one year at a time. Very good, Amy. <laughs> so we're going to go straight into our next clip. This is from our third episode. This is on Lost and Found. In this clip, we can hear Graham making the connection between that lost and found, that identity language and everyday life. How much of normal life is taken up with these conversations? And Graham's reassuring answer is not very much. Listening to Graham now. That is the story of parenting as well, isn't it? In that most of us are doing parenting on the hoof. Most of us are dealing with the behaviour right in front of us. Yeah. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm about to. <laughs> I mean, is that true? That if as parents we understood more about identity, we might approach parenting differently? I think yes, you can put those words in my mouth. I think there's a kind of caveat in that you can't... There's a caveat in practice in that you can't turn every, interact, every interaction into a seminar identity. Mm. It's all about the why. Why did you do that? What was driving you? And who we think we are drives so much of what we do or who we're trying to become or what I'm trying to show I am or prove myself or whatever drives so much. But I can't turn every interaction over the dinner table into, so why did you do that? Yeah. Tell me, you know, it turns every session into a counselling session. That, that, that's, so in practice, yeah. you can't keep on doing that all the time. But, but you need to know that's what's going on and at appropriate moments. Be asking that question, be praying into that, be talking to your children about that. And I think that comes is a hugely reassuring word because particularly if parents are listening to this series of podcasts, they can leave thinking every conversation is about identity and it's just which one. Yeah. Thank you. Once a month, once every two months. And, if, you know, if you have a three-year-old, it's only really in your thinking rather than any sort of conversation where you're talking about for identity. For sure, for sure. But even for older kids, I mean, just that, 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 that you might end up sitting down and saying, I've noticed that. Yeah. There's this pattern can we talk about that and can we talk about why rather than that has to come on the back of every little interaction of you didn't share with your brother or whatever it is. So I think that is the challenge for parenting, isn't it? It is about our hearts and understanding the heart behind the behaviour. I think as well, that's a challenge for us as parents that so often when we're responding to something, if we just can take a second to think what am, what what am I wanting to get out of this and normally if I'm speaking for my own sinful heart what I'm looking to get out of this is an easier time for myself what I'm looking to get out of this is for whatever I'm not liking to stop so that I can have an easier day I'm actually after my own comfort and that if I can stop for a minute and think if I was about the heart of my child here what would I be after 
I wouldn't be after this just to stop so my life is easier. I would be after understanding the why. What has made you choose this? What lie have you believed? What were you trying to get? And how can we how can we dig? Dig at the root so that we can actually make progress. And that's how God is always working in two hearts, the heart of the parent and the heart of the child at the same time. He's good like that. <laughs> is that what you find, Ed? Well, I was surprised that's what you took from that clip. So you have focused on the deep, profound truth rather than you're sat at the table. Don't panic. You don't have to have a massive conversation now. This is not a moment for counselling. You could just laugh and come back to it two days later. Well, that's also true. That's also true. But I think we're probably good at saying I'm just going to laugh and come back to this later. We never do. That's why I'm saying I'm going to push you. Oh, okay. Once. So, Amy, this is I think this is helpful is is our listeners can wonder, are they more of a Amy type where they need to hear pause? This is not about you. How is this about your child? Are you more like an Ed type, which is no, don't make this into a counselling session. You're being too intense here. You can come back to this later. Ed, I can tell you, you should let the vegetables thing go. (laughs) Your child's identity is not based on how many vegetables they can eat. You should let that go. That That is Amy giving some insight into my family, where every time I cook, at least two of my three children say, not more vegetables, Dad. <laughs> the tension levels about vegetables begin from the minute the pan comes out of the cupboard. <laughs> We're going to play another clip now from that same episode, which is where Ed Shaw, uh, making a guest appearance, is talking about how this lost and found image that we find in the parable of the lost son you get to wonder, are you more like that younger son who has come home through the difficult rebellion? Or are you more like the older son who has never left home but refuses to accept grace? I'm the oldest child and you know, in the birth order in my family, if there was a castle to inherit, I'd be the one that would get it. Um, but there isn't. I also fit the attributes of the older child in the parable of the prodigal son in the sense that I'm obedient I've done the right things, I haven't rebelled in any significant way, and I'm in massive danger of being a self-righteous Pharisee most of my life, looking down on my younger siblings, particularly my younger sister, who probably would be more like the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son. So I'm actually grateful for, I mean, this is what I'm grateful for, my sexuality and my struggles with my sexuality, because it's the thing that God's most used to trip me up and to stop me from becoming a self-righteous Pharisee totally. Still a self-righteous Pharisee to quite a large extent, but the thing that most undermines that are the struggles I've had around my sexuality and sexual identity. And I think you know, if you have got a child who you recognise is becoming a bit of a self-righteous Pharisee, actually one of the best things you can pray is that God would give them a pattern of sin and struggle that undermines that and that pushes them towards the gospel of grace and helps them to recognise that we're all in need of forgiveness from a father who runs to meet us. And that's not just a need of younger brothers who've who've run away from home. It's also a need of those who stayed at home, but internally have spent a lot of time dreaming of what it would be to run away from home. Okay, so as parents, I think it's really helpful for us to consider something of the hearts of our children. Do they have more of a tendency towards an older brother heart? Am I trying to get everything right? Am I working really hard? Have I I earned my position of, of your love? 
or are we more of a younger brother that uh, we mess up regularly, we wonder if we're good enough and we doubt that you love us. And I think I can see in my own children that there is there is there's real differences. I could give everyone a sticker, older brother, younger brother, older brother, younger brother. And the way that I parent has to has to match and um, has to respond to those heart needs. And I think that's one of the, the struggles as a parent that so often we feel we've got to be fair, that there's some some element of, of you have to treat everybody the same is fair. But no, we have to respond to the needs within our children. And that's actually fair. That's actually giving giving them the parenting that they need. Do you find the same, Ed? Yeah, I, I also could stick stickers on my children for which is an older son and which is a younger son. I think what I find myself doing then is I'm probably, you're right, because of who I am, I'm probably harder on one than the other. Mm-hmm. Because as as ever with parenting, all of our hearts get involved. Because to be a parent, your own heart is is affected and your own heart is in it with its sin and its sanctification. Ed, I remember once sitting on the bed with my son who who had been rebellious little toad and modelling to him beautifully how he should be praying. This is what you should be doing right now. And I prayed a beautiful prayer all about how we needed to be forgiven and we needed God to change hearts and then did the sort of lean over and now it's your turn thing. <laughs> and my son then just prayed just something about thanking God that that God loved him. And it was that beautiful moment of like the Pharisee and the tax collector <laughs> worked out of God revealing, actually, he's just, he's he's him and he's 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 a mess and he's thanking thanking me that I love him still, even though he's a mess and you're trying to work up in him. Come on, do a better job, earn it. Mm, it's mm. like, oh, oh, oh yes. And I think that's for us as parents, you know, perhaps we need to take a minute as well to think what stickers would we be wearing and uh, older brother, younger brother. And, and how does that teach us something about how maybe we should consider how to respond? What do we need to do? Be delighted that God loves us, even though we're lost and sinful. And we did nothing to earn it, even though we might like to believe otherwise. So if we have a child who is the older son and we are seeing them rage against the lack of justice, we're seeing them rage against, do you have any idea how much I've done today to help? It's tempting in those moments to ratchet up the martyr complex and to ratchet up, do you have any idea what I have done today? But God the Father teaches us to give them a big hug and say, you were loved at the beginning of the day before you did any of those things. And when we have a younger son type child who is getting everything wrong and we are raging at their behavior. To ask yourself again the question, how does God God love this child? By giving them a big hug and saying, you're still loved. You can stop raging. You can stop getting it wrong because you're just so loved. Maybe all of us could become a little bit less obsessed with it's not fair and just delight in being loved. That'd be good, wouldn't it? It's it's good, Amy. I'm pleased you and I had this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) What's our next clip, Ed? This is the wonderful Jen on our fourth episode in the series. This one is on I'm a boy, I'm a girl. How do we parent our boys and our girls differently? And here Jen, the mother of three daughters, tells us about a moment when she was seeking to parent one of her daughters. 
within the last, I don't know, 18 months, was walking the dog with one of my girls because I was con- concerned about how she was doing in herself. Um, and um, during that walk with her was reminding her how precious she is to us as her parents, how wonderfully made she is, how she's unique and beautiful and how she's been given amazing talents and gifts and skills and that, you know, she's a wonderful human being. Do you know what my daughter said to me? She said, mum, you have to say that because you're my parent. And so that truth didn't land with her because it was me as her parent saying that. And that's painful to hear as a parent that they don't believe you when you say those things because they think you're lying because you have to say it because you're their parent. But I think what, you know, hopefully the people listening to this podcast might have in their children's lives alongside them are godparents, our Sunday school teachers, or others in church, family, who are connected with their children, who I would hope and pray are saying the same kind of things to their children. So, you know, my daughter listens to her godmother and her what my what her godmother says to her, she takes on board and believes. And um We've also had the amazing privilege and benefit of my daughters reading the Bible one-to-one as they've been growing up, as they've been teenagers. Uh, And the young women that have read with them, uh, reminding them of who they are and what their identity is. They hear other people. um, And what's precious about what those other people speak in to their hearts and minds is that they will be hearing nasty stuff or because as you were saying earlier on women are good with communicating and language as a generalism well that's also how women attack how girls attack it's with their words rather than with their fists Uh, so if a girl is going to be spiteful she will be spiteful with her words and those words land in people's heart in little in you know girls hearts at school uh, friendships and or mean girls at school you want a, a godly Christian older woman or sister or somebody speaking the truth to your daughter that has come home from school and heard that, you know, something horrible said to her. So what Jen was just saying there is how we need others to be speaking God's truth into our children's lives. We need more voices than just our own, because as sad as it is, it's true that if it's just your mom, she has to say it because she's your mom. But if it's your mom and it's your church and it's your auntie and it's your Sunday school teacher and it's all those people that are together saying, look, what God says about you is true. What God says about you is more real than your mates, than what you get on social media, than the comments, than whatever else is going on. That we we need we need all of those voices together to be speaking into our children's lives to point them to God's truth and what God says about who they are. We need church, Ed. we do need church what we also get from that is that we need mums and dads who go for a walk with their children who spot that this is a moment of need Mm -hmm. and who spot this is a moment of the lord has a solution and they do something about it they start a conversation they don't just think oh she's not upset now so i don't want to bring it up again they say i saw that you were i've waited till it's not the immediate pressing thing 
we've got a bit of space we've gone for a walk and now i'm bringing it up again and and you pointed us earlier amy just a spot that seasons of life have different types of solutions this is a very teenage season of life where you go for a long walk with your child and you attempt a long conversation and it might take the whole walk and you might have to do another loop of the park there there is a version with a, a 10 year old which is a milkshake you take them out for a milkshake. There's a version with a seven-year-old that I think is still a milkshake. <laughs> no, no, it's colouring in or doing a doing an activity around a table. So you're doing a thing. So you're doing the thing. And as you do the, I don't know, press the fix or the, the those aqua beads, you can have a little chat. And if your child is under five, you're doing that all the time. Every sentence you say is is building that foundation and addressing that issue. So maybe you don't need to go for a long conversation with a milkshake with a three-year-old, but it is still happening. Those conversations are still happening, but they don't. you can't point to them as easily and say, it's happening now. So I think with a three-year-old, it's every time they run to you when they're upset. That is you doing this for them. They know that you are the safe place and you are the security. It's you doing the things that you always do, that, you've, that you feed them and you pick them up and you cuddle them and you're there for them, that this is you doing that. Don't underestimate the value of that. If you're an exhausted parent of a toddler listening, terrifying yourself of what's to come. You're doing a great job and you'll do a great job when you get to this point too, because God will help. It's a great clip to finish this episode with because it does hold together a lot of what we're saying, which is as a parent, we are the primary voice in our children's lives. Even in the moments when we think they're not listening, they still are. They're still Mm -hmm. watching. They're still looking, will she hold the line? Will he do what he said he'll do? And the chance to have a conversation in that moment of probably greatest stress, sadness, difficulty. Are we willing in that in that moment to say something of significance? Uh, and are we willing to say something about identity? Jen, in that moment, was saying, you are loved. And she knew her child well enough that she knew that was going to be a conversation. They could do that together. This is about who you are. Even though these other parts of life don't feel like they're working, what defines you most is you are loved by me, you are loved by God. And we can do that as parents when we remember that we have a parent. So we are not on our own parenting our children in a vacuum trying to work out what to do. We have a loving Heavenly Father who is our parent too. So We have somebody walking alongside us, teaching us, loving us, helping us. Someone we can run back to like a three-year-old. Someone we can have a long chat with like a 10-year-old. Someone we can have a milkshake with as, as, as we look to him to help us, to speak to us through his people, through his word, through his spirit. We can do it, Ed. It's a job he's given us to do. He's not going to leave us on our own. I've almost convinced myself. Well done, Amy. And that's why these episodes still exist. We're just walking you through that story. We're bringing in experts to help you work out how identity affects everyday life. And we want to finish each one with, you've got this. You can take what these clever people have said. You can take what these experts have said. And you can work out how to bring this into the lives of your children. Where we're going next is we're looking forward to talking about bodies in a lot more detail, which is something I never thought I'd find myself saying out loud. (laughs) We have got Sam Albury coming, uh, who has written a great book on the body. And then we're going to be looking at two specific examples of when our beautiful bodies, our view of them or they aren't quite how we'd like them to be.
So one is going to be looking at self-harm and body image, and the other is going to be looking at disability. How do we say I'm wonderfully made when I either don't believe it or it doesn't actually seem to be the case? I look forward to those episodes a lot, and the series is just going to keep on going through. We're going to put in little moments for Christmas because Christmas is still happening even in the Who Am I series, but we're going to be going beyond it into the new year. Wonderful. And I'm looking forward to as many chances as possible of being reminded that I am a loved child of God. That is who I am. And if I live out of that identity of being a loved child of a good heavenly father, wow, life feels significantly more possible. Amy, I'm just going to pray to finish. In that first introductory episode with Ed Shaw, he gave us Galatians 2.20 as a verse that he thinks captures identity. Let me pray that for us. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dear Father, I thank you that we no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I thank you that we are a new creation. I thank you, Father, that to be Christians means we live because Christ lives in us. I thank you Christ is doing that good work in us. I thank you he defines us. I thank you he is our identity. Father, we pray for the faith to believe this, particularly in the hardest moments. And we pray for the insight and the wisdom to know how to speak this truth to our children, to tell them who they are when their world feels like it's crumbling. Be gracious, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amy. See you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye.